This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the True Crime Squad. I'm Christy Brower here with my sister, co-host and partner in crime, Katie Weaver. Hey, Katie. Hello. Good morning. Ooh. <laughs> you feel like you've been running a marathon this morning? Oh, my goodness. Between uh, Brian Koberger and keeping an eye on what's going on in Congress. Hi, yi, yi. Oh, right? I know. It's what a, a lot. Day. It yeah. is a lot. Well, we told you last night that you would probably see us live again this week if the probable cause affidavit was released for Brian Koberger. We said if it was burning a hole in our pocket. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's like burned a hole brain. straight through us. Yeah, yeah it, it really has. It's, it's wow, guys. We've learned a lot in a very short amount of time. A lot of things that we're, we're guessing about were true, some not as true. But uh, we're just going to go through the affidavit with you and kind of go page by page and tell you what's in it. It is partially redacted. I'm going to guess right now that the redacted part is the description of the state of the bodies because yeah. that's nowhere in here. Um, so it's not going to be real graphic, fortunately. But yep. Katie, do you want to kick us off with page one? Yes. Okay. So I guess I should pull up page one. I had the com criminal complaint and everything else mm. pulled up. All right. So the uh, the statement is written by Brett Payne. Brett Payne is uh, an, a peace officer with the Lataw County uh, Sheriff's Department mm -hmm. uh, or Police Department. Sorry. He is the corporal. And he wrote this uh, report. Uh, he did an excellent job with it. Mm -hmm. uh, he actually wasn't one of the first responders on scene. He got there at 4 p.m., on November 13th. Mm -hmm. So there had already been a uh, response there since about 1230. Uh, when he got there, he was taken uh, to the, the rooms, you know, where the, uh, where the attacks had happened, where the, where the bodies still were. And that's where he started his investigation. He started at uh, the Kernodal room. All of the uh, victims, their rooms are referred to in their last names in this report. Mm -hmm. So he started in the Kernodal room, which is uh, on the second floor. And after that, and then, uh, of course, uh, identified Zana in that room as well as Ethan. Uh, both in that room. They There, of course, is a big redacted spot right there. And then there's a description only saying the medical examiner redacted dated december 15th 2022 to be caused by sharp force injuries yes uh so then he went on to the third floor where there are two bedrooms and a bathroom and that's where uh they found um uh kaylee gonsalves's room and they call that the gonsalves room 
Um, there also had, this is where uh, Kaylee's dog was. Yeah. Um, there the had dog, been talk that her dog was barking on a neighbor's uh, ringtone yes, camp. Yes. And uh, that, there's some pretty scary stuff on that ring door cam, actually. Um, yeah. So the dog did belong to Kaylee and her boyfriend, Jack. And so then they also went to another bed uh, bathroom that had a shared wall with Madison Mogan's room. So that becomes the Mogan bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, in that room, they found two females in the single bed in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was Gonsalves and Mogan. Mm-hmm. And they were deceased with visible stab wounds. Lying in that room is a tan leather knife sheath. It's laying on the bed next to Mogan. Yep. Uh, the sheath was later processed and had K-Bar, USMC, and the United States Marine Corps Eagle, Globe, and Anchor Insignia stamped on the outside of it. Uh, so the Idaho State Lab did locate a single source of male DNA that they call that they have it referred to as the suspect profile. Mm-hmm. left on the button snap of the knife sheath. Yeah. So um, the police have conducted um, lots and lots of interviews by Moscow police, Idaho state police and FBI. Mm-hmm. And two of those interviews were with um, referred to by their initials, the other two roommates, BF and DM mm-hmm. who were in the, in the house at the time of the homicides and were roommates and they were, on the first floor on the east side of the residence. The sheath is extremely important. We're, we'll get back to it. We're going to go through this first and then we'll talk about it. But uh, yeah. um, and some of you I see in the chat are recognizing why that's so important. Papa Rogers. Yep. Papa Rogers. We'll get there. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Here's what they learned from uh, investigation. On that evening, they know that uh, at the Sigma Chai, is it she? I'm not sure how you say that. House, we know that Chapin and Kernodal had been there and that they returned to the King Road residence around 1.45 a.m. This is Mm -hmm. important because there was uh, additionally, or uh, initially there was conversations about, you know, that the time of death there was an assumption that it was somewhere around 1.45 to 2 a.m. We're learning right. that that's not correct. Yep. Uh, we also know that uh, the girls were at a local bar on Main mm-hmm. Street and that they returned home uh, sometime around, well, they were at the grub truck around 1.30. Mm-hmm. Now, the grub truck is interesting because they actually live stream. Yes. They live stream. Which uh, is kind of cool and interesting because that really showed a picture of what the girls were doing, what where they were. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting. Anyway, they live stream on uh, on Switch, so or on Twitch. Sorry. Anyhow, so and then a private party reported that he had given them a ride back home about one fifty six a.m. back to the King Road residence. So dm and bf had both made statements during interviews that they were home by 2 a.m and mm-hmm. asleep or at least in their rooms by around four so this is with the exception of kernodal who actually received a doordash order about 4 a.m this was a house that never sleeps yeah so, so she was up at 4 a.m mm-hmm. getting doordash 
Yeah. So then DM uh, says that she went to sleep in her bedroom um, on the southeast side of the second floor. I think that's first floor, though, because she's I think that might be an error. Um, but she woke up about four o'clock by what she's what what she said sounded like Gonsalves playing with her dog um, in one of the upstairs bedrooms. Not long after that, she heard who she thought was Gonsalves say something to the effect of there's someone here. Um, her phone records show that this uh, or her nodal phone records show that this also could have been her because her phone indicated that she was awake and using TikTok at 4.12 a.m. So then DM says she looked out her bedroom, but she didn't see anything when she heard the comment about someone being in the house. Um, she opened her door a second time because she thought she heard crying coming from Kernodal's room. DM then said she heard a male voice say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. Holy shit. So at about 4.17 a.m., a security camera, it's next door to this house, um, picked up distorted audio of what sounded like voices or a whimper followed by a loud thud. A dog can also be heard barking numerous times starting at 4.17 a.m. The security camera is less than 50 feet from the west wall of Cardotal's bedroom. DM stated she opened her door for the third time after she heard the crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking toward her. DM described the figure as 5'10 or taller. Uh, uh, <laughs> I want to say Cardotal, that's not right. The suspect is six foot. Uh, male, not very muscular. He weighs 185 pounds. He's very thin, but athletically athletically built with bushy eyebrows. We're going to put up a picture of him in a second. He's got very bushy eyebrows. Uh, he walked past her as she stood in a frozen shock phase. He walked toward the back sliding glass door and DM locked herself in her room after she saw him. She did not state that she recognized him. And police believe that at that time, that is when he left the scene. Guys, he walked right past her. Yeah. He wasn't I, there for her. I don't want to flame her because I can't imagine being in this situation. And she'll be asking herself for the rest of her life. Right. But it is extremely strange why she didn't call 911 after this happened. Yeah. Um, I, she just locked her room and hid I, in her room and hid. Here's a picture of Koberger. Look at those eyebrows, guys. If his nose and mouth were covered, that would be something that would be um, pretty notable about his appearance, wouldn't you say? Yeah. 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 Uh, early in this uh, investigation, we had said that we, some people that, uh, that people we know mm -hmm. know one of the uh, former boyfriends right. and that the roommates had told him that they had seen someone in the house mm -hmm. and that the next day they were so scared to come out of their bedrooms that they had called a male friend to come over 
and check on things before they came out of their room and that that's when they discovered this horrific scene and I feel like that's absolutely accurate after hearing all of this that that's exactly what happened I think so too yeah yeah okay so the combination of her statements to law enforcement and reviews of the forensic downloads from both of their phones, uh, BF and DM, and a video of a suspect video uh, leads the investigators now to believe the homicides happened between 4 a.m. and 4.25 a.m., which again is, uh, that's a couple hours off from what initially uh, the the public had believed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, They also found a latent shoe print during processing the scene and that was found during the second processing of the scene from the ISP forensic team. They said uh, they used a presumptive blood test and amino black, which is a protein stain that detects the presence of cellular material. Mm-hmm. And that shoe print showed a diamond shaped pattern like that of maybe a van or something like that. That was just outside of DM's bedroom. But, okay. And this does say located on the second floor. Uh so maybe so the first she was... was incorrect, yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is consistent with her statement regarding the suspect's path of travel. So he walked right past her. It's a miracle that girl is alive, but it also gives us a pretty good sense of uh, that he was there for those specific people. He wasn't there for her. This is why the police said, we believe this is a targeted attack. Yeah. That right there. Yep. Uh, as a part of the investigation... Uh, after a search, they call it a video canvas, was conducted in the area of King Road residence. This was, of course, to get any video from people's uh, cameras, right? Mm-hmm. And this is when the, uh, there was surveillance from the area that they started to pick up on suspect vehicle number one. Yes. And suspect vehicle number one was observed uh right in the area at 3.26 a.m. And then in Moscow, yeah, in Moscow at 3.28 a.m., that car did not have a front license plate, and that will become important later. Yes, it will. Uh, So they review a bunch of videos in the King Road neighborhood, and there are multiple sightings of Vehicle 1 starting at 3.29 a.m. and ending at 4.20 a.m. Uh, so they show suspect vehicle number one make an initial three passes by K- the King Road residence. And um, the officer said, based off my experience, this is a residential neighborhood with a very limited number of vehicles that travel in the area during the early morning hours. Upon review of the video, there are only a few cars that enter and exit this area during this time frame, and they see that car go by three times. Mm-hmm. Suspect vehicle one can be seen entering the area a fourth time at 4.04 a.m. Uh, it can be seen driving eastbound on King Road, stopping and turning around in, tw- in front of 500 Queen Road, number 52, and then driving ba- back westbound on King Road. So he's driving around trying to get up the guts or make sure there's no one awake, awake. or yeah. something. He's yeah, in the house. Yeah. And then it appeared to, this is interesting, to unsuccessfully attempt to park or turn around in the road. And then it continued to the intersection of Queen Road and King Road, where it can be seen completing a three-point turn and then driving eastbound again down Queen Road. 
suspect vehicle number one is next seen departing the area of the King Road residence at 4.20 a.m. at a high rate of speed. And then they follow it with camera footage um, through multiple neighborhoods headed out of Moscow. And then it proceeds into Whitman County, Washington, which is where Pullman is. Uh And eventually, basically, they follow it all the way to his house, basically, to where his apartment is. Yep. Yep. So they send the video footage they have to forensic examiners at the FBI who have uh, the tools to to use surveillance footage to identify year, make, and model of vehicles so that they can get a really good sense of what is this car. So the forensic examiner that was on this uh, task has 35 years of law enforcement experience. And he, uh, after looking at uh, several different observations of the vehicle, he decided that it was a Hyundai Elantra between 2011 and 2013. Uh, after further review of more video they received, he then decided it was actually somewhere between 2011 and 2016. Mm-hmm. So as a result, they started reviewing information on anyone who had a vehicle in that area who owned one from 2011 to 2016. Yeah. So they were given access to footage from Washington State University in Pullman. And from that... They saw that at 2.44 a.m., a white sedan, which is uh, suspect vehicle one, was observed on the WSU surveillance cameras traveling northeast on Nevada Street towards Stadium Way. So he was out and about at that point. Mm -hmm. At 2.53, suspect vehicle one was traveling southeast on Nevada Street in Pullman towards the road that connects this is uh, SR270 which is the highway that connects Pullman to Moscow mm-hmm. so uh, he was actually out and about and heading that direction about 3 a.m. yeah um, at 5:25 a.m. a white sedan which was consistent with the description of suspect vehicle one was observed on five cameras in Pullman and on WSU campus cameras mm-hmm. Um, it was first seen on Johnson Road in Pullman. Uh, then it was observed traveling northbound on Johnson Road. So it's traveling um, basically back from Pullman to Moscow. Moscow. Why am I saying Moscow? Um, so then it was observed, let's see, traveling northbound on Stadium Way, Wilson Road, Cougar Road. So it's it's basically traveling around between Moscow and Pullman. And it's this white Elantra, which, by the way, is a 2015. And they had said it was a 2014 to 16. And boy, were they right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eventually um, they get there. Yeah. Yeah, to, they do. To, to two, yeah, 14 to 16. Yeah. Yep. So on November 25th, Moscow police ask for area law enforcement agencies to watch out for this white Elantra. And uh, so the Washington State University police, an officer named Daniel Tiango, um, looks up if there are some white Elantras registered at WSU. And he locates a 2015 white Elantra with a Pennsylvania license plate. This vehicle was registered to Brian Koberger. And he will now be referred to as Koberger. 
and he lives in Pullman. Um, on Valley Road. On Valley Road, yeah. Where they've seen the scar, you know. Yeah. So on that same day, Officer Whitman was kind of looking for this Honda. Yeah, and he finds it in, in a parking lot um, at East Valley Road Apartment Complex. Yeah. Which is student housing. Yeah. Uh, he ran the car itself. It now, in, it was registered originally with the Pennsylvania tag. It's now got a Washington tag mm-hmm. under Koberger's name. He now has a uh, Washington state driver's license. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says he's a white male, six feet tall, 185 pounds. The driver's license photograph shows Koberger has bushy eyebrows. Mm-hmm. So his physical description is real consistent with the description that the roommate gave. Yep. Yep. So further investigation shows that on August 21st, Brian Koberger was detained as a part of a traffic stop in Moscow. He was the sole occupant. He was driving a 2015 Hyundai Elantra white with Pennsylvania plates that were set to expire on November 30th, 2022. <clears throat> During the stop, uh, he provided law enforcement with his phone number and the last number is 8458 so the 8458 phone is how this will be referred to in the rest of this report so going back to finding that uh he gets pulled over a lot he surely does Yeah. yeah going back to finding that uh gave them his phone number so that they could uh, start doing some work with that number. Yeah. Uh, they discovered that number is issued by AT&T. So they, they also discovered. Cell towers. Yeah. They also discovered that on October 14th, 2022, Brian was detained as a part of a traffic stop by a WSU police officer. And upon review of that body cam and stop, he also was in the same car with the same Pennsylvania plates. Mm-hmm. Then on November 18th, so this is five days after the murders, he registers the car in Washington and receives a Washington plate. Mm-hmm. Here's why this is interesting. In Pennsylvania, you're only required to have a back plate. And the footage they have of this car in the area the night of the murders is a car that only has a back license plate. Yeah. Well, in Mm -hmm. Idaho and Washington, you're required to have a front and a back plate. Yeah. So after he went through the licensing and put it, uh, you know, registered that car in Washington, he then had front and back plates, which he had not had initially. Yeah. So now they start tracking this car Mm -hmm. and they find it in um, Loma, Colorado on December 13th. Uh, December 15th, it was found in Hancock County, Indiana. And on December 16th at 2.26 p.m., surveillance video shows Koberger's Elantra in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. So they were actually tracking this car as it was traveling across the country from Washington to Pennsylvania. Uh, The sole occupant of the vehicle was a white male whose description was consistent with Koberger. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Koberger has family in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. We know that's where his parents are. 
and sisters. Um, so, you know, they start doing some research on Koberger. They find that he's a PhD student in, of criminology at Washington State University. Mm-hmm. Um, there are records um, provided by a member of the interview panel for Pullman Police Department. Um, where Koberger's past education included undergraduate degrees and degree in psychology and cloud-based forensics. Cloud-based forensics. Um, I'm going to tell you that I don't think he was a very good student of cloud-based forensics because he has fucked up. Mm -hmm. Um, They show that he wrote an essay when he applied for internship with the Pullman Police Department in fall of 2022. So he was trying to intern with the Pullman Police in the fall 2022. Yeah. Not long before these murders. Uh-huh. Uh, in his essay, he wrote he had an interest in assisting rural law enforcement agencies with how to better collect and analyze technological data in public safety operations. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um, then, of course, they talk about the Reddit survey that we've shared with you already uh-huh. uh, that, that was posted and, you know, trying to understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision making when committing a crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, law enforcement also gets search warrants to um, <coughs> determine cellular devices that utilize cellular towers in close proximity to the King Road residence on November 13th between 3 and 5 a.m. So they, because they now know he's associated for sure with this white Elantra and with the 8458 phone. Um, so they you know, they get a bunch of stuff back from these search warrants. Uh It shows that his phone did not ping during the time of the murders at the King Road residence between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. Yeah. Take it away, Katie. (laughs) So he, he did turn his phone off during that time or onto airplane mode. Yep. Uh, the officer had written in his report that based on his training and experience, uh, you know, that individuals can leave their phone at a different location before committing a crime or turn their phone to airplane mode or off, you know, to try to throw, uh, you know, investigators off. And, and obviously, you know, Brian would have known that, you know, mm-hmm. this isn't like, uh, you know, Alex Cox leaving his phone on and being tracked exactly to the spot where he buried the kids. He was a little right. smarter than that, you know, which you would assume he would be with his education. However, not as smart as you might think. <laughs> yes. On December 23rd, they applied for a search warrant for historical phone records between November 12th and November 14th for this phone number. And because of that, they were able to of course, nailed down that this phone is subscribed to Brian at an address in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. He's had that phone since uh, June 23rd. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
I don't know why that's interesting to me, but it kind of is, you know? Yeah, he changed like, numbers. Yeah. Because it's not like he didn't have a phone before that. Right, of course. Yeah. So after he got that information, they were able to work with the cellular analyst survey team from the FBI. Mm -hmm. That, uh, and those, you know, they, this will be a part of their uh, testimony, but uh, they were able then to determine locations for that phone from November 12th and November 13th. On November 13th at 2.42 a.m., the phone was using cellular data in Pullman near the Kohlberger res residence. At 2.47, the phone utilized cel cellular resources that provided coverage southeast of the Kohlberger residence and the phone leaving the Kohlberger residence and traveling south through Pullman. That's consistent with the movement of the White Elantra, of course. At 2.47, the phone stops reporting to the network which again is either consistent with the phone being in the area or being disabled in some way, turned mm -hmm. off airplane mode. The phone does not work again until 4.48 a.m. when uh, the car pulls onto uh, State Highway 95 south of Moscow. Yeah. So somewhere between the, uh, the King House Road or the King Road House and headed back to Pullman, he turned his phone back on. Yeah. Yeah. We can go from here. Okay. Um, so at 4.50 a.m. and 5.26 a.m., between 4.50 and 5.26, the phone is on and traveling south on Idaho State 95 to Janice, Idaho, then Uniontown, Idaho, and then north back into Pullman. So mm -hmm. this is him driving back. Mm -hmm. At 5.30 a.m., the phone is in Pullman, mm -hmm. consistent with it going back to his residence. Mm -hmm. uh, so the phone's movements are also also tracked with the car's movements that they found on on all of the cameras. You know, they, mm -hmm. they find it traveling north on Stadium Drive at 5.27, um, which and they you know the, they also see the car is there at the same time that the phone is there so we know he's in his car traveling to his house yeah so um on november 13th the phone leaves his residence at eight or at 9 a.m and travels to moscow idaho and arrives at the King Road residence between 9.12 and 9.21 a.m. He went back, guys. Yep. I'm sure he was going back to see, are the police there? Has his, has his crime been discovered? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, he didn't turn his phone off then. Yep. Um, let's see. And then he goes back to his apartment. And there's maps in here of kind of where the phone goes yeah um let's see they don't think they there's no indication that his phone was in moscow on the 14th of november um so he after he went back once he didn't um, go back again go back yeah. um no. 
So, you know, they, again, they're just, they're matching up. He was in the, he's the driver of the car. This is his phone. This is his car. This is just proof. They can prove where he was at what time based on all of this. So this is really important because you don't have to have witnesses if you have this kind of data. And so mm-hmm. they're just repeating it over and over again. So yeah. um, let's see, during the early morning hours of November 13th and yeah, Right. So the route of travel of the 8458 phone during the early morning hours of November 13th and the lack of the phone reporting between 2.47 a.m. and 4.48 a.m. is consistent with Koberger attempting to conceal his location during the actual murders. Mm-hmm. Yep. On December 23rd, <clears throat> pardon me, they applied for a search warrant for his historical CSLI. This is more of the uh, electronic data because they wanted to know if he'd been stalking the victims in the case prior to the offense. Yeah. I mean, he'd been smart enough to turn his phone off during the attacks, but was he smart enough to turn it off while he was uh, surveying them or was he surveying Mm -hmm. them? Because they had reported, some of the girls Mm -hmm. had reported that they felt like they were being stalked or the house was Uh being stalked. Yeah. Yep. So and true, Janet, maybe he went back because he realized he forgot the knife sheath. Yeah. Yeah. So using that, uh, those resources, they were able to find that that phone had been in the area of King Road on at least 12 occasions prior to November 13th. God. All of these occasions, except for one, occurred in the late evening and early morning hours of their respective days. So was he stalking them? Definitively, yes. Yeah. Uh, one of these occasions was August 21st. This is amazing to me. I mean, he got to town, I believe, sometime in August. He zeroed in on these girls almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this was from 10.34 p.m. to 11.35 p.m. At 11.37 p.m., he got pulled over. Yeah. He is pulled over all the time. A lot of their data is from him being pulled over. Mm-hmm. I've been pulled over like twice in my life. Right. Like this, this guy guy's gets... getting pulled over like weekly. What yeah. the hell? Yeah. Well, At he's not rate... a very good driver. That whole thing about yeah. not being able to turn around in the street and having difficulty parking and all that mm-hmm. stuff the night of it. I think he's not a very good driver, honestly. Maybe so. I mean, a Honda Elantra can't be that hard to park. No, it's not a very big car. Yeah. So at any rate, he was stopped then. Uh, and the phone was, you know, also shown in that area. Mm-hmm. Just again, uh, verifying that, that the phone and the movements of that car continue to line up. It's basically what the uh, the point of that was. Yeah. Uh, on November 13th, also consistent with the phone traveling from Pullman to Lewiston on Highway 195, Mm-hmm. At 12.36 p.m., the phone utilized cellular resources that would provide coverage to Kate's Cup of Joe. It's a coffee stand uh, in Clarkston, Washington. Mm-hmm. Just more proof of seeing him and his, his movement. Mm-hmm. And then surveillance footage from the U.S. Chef's store in Clarkston, Washington, adjacent to Kate's Cup of Joe, also showed a white Elantra consistent with suspect vehicle number one. Driving past that area, again, just just more proof of, you know, tracking his movements. Mm-hmm. 
and just proving this is his phone, this is his car. Yeah. Consistently over time, he's right. driving around with that yeah. phone in his pocket in that car. Mm -hmm. Then he drives past uh, Albertsons. And then actually interior footage shows him walk through Albertsons at 1249 p.m. And leave the store at 104 p.m. Yeah. So he, he more, you know, tracking him and also him just being out and about at that time. So this is where it gets really good, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, on December 27th, Pennsylvania yeah. agents recover trash from the Koberger family residence in Albright, Pennsylvania. That evidence was sent to the Idaho State Lab for testing. On December 28th, the Idaho State Lab reported a DNA profile obtained from the trash and the DNA profile obtained from the sheath identified as a male not being excluded as the biological father of suspect profile. So it was Brian's dad's DNA mm -hmm. that they found at their home that they track, were able to track back to Brian. Yeah. At that point, that's when they uh, applied for an arrest warrant for Brian for four counts of murder in the first degree of Madison, Kaylee, Zana, and Ethan. And of course, received that. Yeah. Whew, whew. That's a lot, man. Yeah. But they have a lot. They yes. have a lot of evidence on him. They don't need anything from him. They don't even need anything from witnesses. No. The data from his phone and his car and the DNA from that knife sheath, that's enough mm -hmm. to convict him right mm -hmm. there. And I'm sure there are more things to come. I'm sure. I mean, remember, in a arrest affidavit like that, all they have to do is provide enough information to a judge for them to read through that and go, yeah, that there's probable cause here for arrest. That, that's yes. all they needed. Definitely. So they, they don't give everything they have. They don't need to. But here they are. Uh, so they have been in court this morning, of course, mm -hmm. and he was given no bail. Uh, his attorney did mm -hmm. request uh, bail. The judge denied it. There will be a status hearing in one week. Mm -hmm. Good. They they need to hang on to him. Yeah. He he won't be bailing out. I can't imagine. No. But uh, no. he seems pretty effed to me. Yeah. And Mr. You know, I'm going to come in and teach rural law enforcement how to use cloud data. <laughs> They have used cloud data on him mm -hmm. in a big way. He really thought that all he had to do was turn off his phone during the murders. Mm -hmm. Here he is Not... in court this morning. Look at that face. He's terrifying. Mm -hmm. He is completely emotionless. I have mm -hmm. not seen a single picture of him mm -hmm. that he has a single emotion on his face. And that is, he's a psychopath. Yep. So let's talk about the knife sheath. Whoo, baby. So a few days ago. We told you that there was an account on Facebook that was discussing this case. There were 100 and, nearly 150,000 people in it. Mm -hmm. And there was a contributor named Papa Rogers. Yeah. And Papa Rogers has been very prolific in that group. Asking a lot of really interesting kind of weird questions about uh, the case. Things like, uh, you know, how, how did the, 
uh, how did the killer enter? How did the killer leave? How did the killer choose these victims? What did the killer, what were they thinking, feeling? I mean, just a lot of questions that in hindsight now are pretty reminiscent of the questions that uh, Brian Kohlberger asked in his uh, survey when he was working on his master's degree. One of the things that happened in that group is that he had an absolute throwdown with some people about the possibility of there being a knife sheaf left left at the scene. Yeah. And everybody was like, no one has said there's a knife sheath. And he just kept hammering it. It was and in so fact, specific. So specific. So specific. And people kept asking, like, why do you keep saying that? Like, there's been no evidence of that. And one guy was like, why do you keep saying that and bringing this up? Like, it's weird. What are you talking about? Yeah. And so we had been saying that we believed that if a knife sheath was in fact found at the scene, we would absolutely be convinced that Papa Roger really was Brian Koberger in that group. Yeah. And guess what? Yes. Now, let me tell you a little bit about why that name, because it's spelled very specifically R-O-D-G-E-R. OK, mm-hmm. this is Elliot Roger. Mm-hmm. Elliot Roger is the man who committed the 2014 Isla Vista murders at the University of California, Santa Barbara. He killed six people and injured 14 others. He's a well-known, horrific incel. He killed people by gunshot stabbing and vehicle rab- rab- uh, ramming. Um, he stabbed three men to death in his apartment. Uh, Then he drove to a sorority house, tried to get inside. When he couldn't, he shot three women outside of the sorority house. Then he drove past a deli nearby and just shot a male student inside to death. And then he drove through Isla Vista, shooting and wounding several pedestrians from his car and striking others with his car. And he did exchange uh, gunfire with police twice. And um, ultimately he crashed his car into a parked vehicle and took his own life with his gun. Um, He had uploaded a YouTube video called Elliot Rogers retribution. Uh, It actually outlined the planned attack and he wanted to punish women for rejecting him and sexually active men because he envied them. Now there's been talk that Koberger is an incel. And I think uh, this is some pretty compelling information that he may be because that the spelling of that name, that is a, an uncommon spelling of that name. And it's not Rogers, it's Roger. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are saying that he did this in homage to Elliot Roger. We don't know that for sure, but there is a real connection here that is pretty terrifying. Yes, there is. It's, <laughs> it, that's pretty wild. And that, you know, one theory that people had had from the beginning is that he had to have been some kind of an incel, you know? Yeah. And we well, and that had been likely true at this point. One had been indicated by people who knew him when he was younger, high school age and stuff, that he's always yeah. struggled, been very awkward with girls and struggled with relationships. Um mm-hmm. 
you know, there's a there's a girl out there on TikTok saying that he stalked her best friend for a long time. It mm-hmm. was very scary. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't and all of that is, you know, hearsay. We don't know for sure if those things are true, but they do kind of add up together with this yeah. to indicate that he may, in fact, really that may be what his motivation is. Yeah. So here's a few uh, screenshots of conversations that was had in that group. Oh, yes. Uh, Papa Roger, this was a part of this ar- argument about the sheath. Uh, Papa Roger had said, I'm only responding to you. Why would you even bring up the killer thought? Odd. Dustin says, Papa Roger, sorry I trashed your stupid sheath theory and you couldn't take it <laughs> because there's been all this fighting back and forth about it. Yeah. Uh, then he said, any other brain buster theories? Maybe they found a receipt lying in the kitchen for the knife. And Papa Roger responds, why are you angry? And this guy responds, why do you communicate like a serial killer? Yeah. People were afraid of this dude in this mm-hmm. group. Yes, he bullied the hell out of people. He did. Uh, here's some of the questions he asked. Why did the killer choose that house over all others in the area? Yeah. And why do we think the entrance point or what do we think is the entrance point of the crime scene? And then if you see, this is one of the questions basically that he asked in that survey. Why did you choose that victim or target over the others? Mm -hmm. Uh, On the question, why did the killer choose that house over all others in the area? Someone had responded to that with a long list of why some of those things might have been, why it would have been chosen. And his response was excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Like they were his students. Or they knew, you know. Uh, Here's another question that he had asked. Uh, Is the killer still in Moscow, Idaho right now? Yeah. Here's a post. Of the evidence released, the murder weapon has been consistent as a large fixed blade knife. This leads me to believe they found the sheath. This evidence was released prior to autopsy. But there was no talk of a sheath. That was just him. Yeah, that was just him. Explained knife, yes. But sheath, that was all him. Uh, Here's another question. Did the killer stop at four victims out of exhaustion, convenience, or lack of knowledge? One of the responses to him was, Seems like the type of question only the killer would have an answer to. It's pretty chilling. It really is. Responds. This entire board is assumptions. Oh, but people were clocking him in this group. Like, Mm -hmm. you're creepy. We don't like this. And his account Mm -hmm. disappeared the day that he was arrested. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he knew it wasn't a kitchen knife, right, Paula? Right. Do you think he left the sheath as a tease to police, not realizing his DNA was on it? I don't know. I, you know, Maybe. the way that he's responding here, this weird, like, I'm going to teach you kind of attitude. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe he I thought it was clean. He would have been savvy enough to wipe it down, though, because. I'll bet he did. I'll bet he did. I'll bet he just missed about a that button. 
Yep, or kind of up underneath the side of the button. Mm -hmm. You know how sometimes with a button like that, if it's a you little bit pinched. stiff, you might get your fingernail up underneath it to pop it open. Mm -hmm. You know, or I you wonder... might get pinched pushing it back down. Yes, mm -hmm. I was thinking about a sheath our dad had that. Well, it was a, it was a gun holster, mm -hmm. but it was like that. Like you could get pinched with the snap pretty easy. Yeah, I suspect that he thought he had it cleaned up. Maybe but, he did because uh... it does really make you wonder if he left that there intentionally, mm -hmm. as controlled as he is i cannot mm -hmm. imagine he left it there accidentally yep this was so planned and prepared for such a long yep. time i can't imagine that he uh -huh. that he made that mistake yep one of the other things he insisted in that group is that it was a sexually motivated crime yes and a lot of people were like there's no talk of that there's no talk of that at all and he kept insisting that it was mm -hmm. I believe that's true. Mm -hmm. uh, not that there was sexual assault. When he was saying that he believed it was a sexually motivated crime, people kept coming back at him, but, but there wasn't sexual assault that we know of. I don't think there was sexual assault. That, mm -hmm. Those crimes happened too fast for there yeah. to be sexual assault involved. However, was this sexually motivated? Yeah. Sexual frustration. Yes. Right. Also, stabbings are often seen as sexually motivated. Mm-hmm. Because yep. they're basically penetration. Yeah. Which is gross. But yeah, I he was giving himself away. And we don't know if the police knew about that that group or any of that stuff. But boy, it is right. chilling to yep. read those things that he said and the way that he went back at people. And he would not let that she thing go. It went on and on. And the guy that was responding to him was like, why are you still on this? You yep. can't let this go, you know? It was mm -hmm. weird. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, we also know that uh, that account has since been deleted. So right. that leads me to believe the police do know about that account. At least now they do. Yeah, they, they do now. Yeah, because it's been deleted. Yeah. Uh, but of course, uh, people were quick enough to, and smart enough to get some screenshots from it. But uh, will this account be used as evidence against Brian? I'll bet it is. Mm -hmm. There's also some talk that there were a couple of accounts on Reddit that were behaving the same way. Ah. Also, though, in, in kind of a weird turn of events, that account made some uh, really derogatory comments on Representative Katie Porter's posts on Facebook. Katie oh, Porter yeah. is a Democratic rep from uh, state representative from California. And... So that account was doing some other things online, uh, doing some political trolling, interestingly. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, he's the, the ego on this guy is massive. Yeah. You know, Michelle, we've gone back and found that there no one can find any proof that he did actually ask that when he was arrested. You know, we heard that he'd asked, was anyone else arrested? Mm -hmm. um, that has not been able to be corroborated. Yeah. So we don't know that that's true. Janet says, I can't tell if he's really smart or really dumb. I think it's both. Yeah. I think he's very intelligent and very egotistical and so sure of himself that mm -hmm. he could not imagine that he would make any mistakes. And he clearly has. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Ellen said, I think he accidentally left the sheath and didn't keep killing because he was exhausted. Interesting. <laughs> Ooh, he would take major offense to that, I think. Yeah. But truly. Uh, everything we know, and, and it's not a lot, but everything we know from slips from the uh, 
medical examiner not being able to stop talking to people uh mm -hmm. you know is that and one of the dads actually talked about this too is that uh the the stab wounds were immense and huge and deep and mm -hmm. he worked hard and fast yes. so was he exhausted i'm guessing he was it's interesting though isn't it ellen that, that was mm -hmm. one of the points he brought up right yeah it is it is and and it is true stabbing one person mm -hmm. it, that's a very labor intensive process yeah. but he stabbed four adults to death yeah. i mean that's that would make you exhausted yep yep for sure gosh so there it all is i mean it's it's all on the table and what's going to happen with this case please please for the love of god don't let this turn into debel Vallow. Yeah. I mean, we know that they are going to do a psych eval immediately, mm -hmm. which as well they should, but we don't really think that anything will come from that because he's not unable in Idaho. And of course, there's no insanity plea in Idaho anyway, but right. in Idaho, if he, he just has to be found competent to understand the charges against him and participate in his own defense. Right. And do we believe that Brian is capable of those two things? definitively yes. yeah most definitely I, I can't imagine anyone would would describe him otherwise no if he wasn't then he would do a stint in one of our uh state-owned psych hospitals to get him to that point just like Lori mm -hmm. Vallow has has done right and so that's what would happen because there is no insanity plea anyway mm -hmm. that's not going to happen with him there no there's, they are not going to find that I he's not competent. don't think he would let it happen. His yeah. ego is way too big. He is mm -hmm. way too sure of himself. He would never yeah. let anybody think that he's got a mental health problem because yeah. he will see that as a huge weakness. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Wowza. Well, that is a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. And, of course, we will be back next week with more. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure there'll be more in lots of areas, but we know now, you know, that he has been arraigned. He's being held with no bond. And now the real work begins, which is just getting this dude to trial. Yep. And yeah. uh, all I can say is I'm just grateful he's off the street. Yes. And all of our and love to the families today. I can't absolutely. imagine how hard it was to see him in court to uh to attend court uh there was a after court statement by one of the families that brian enton has on his twitter feed if you want to go find that but uh i can't imagine and, what kind of a day this is for them and to the survivors i mean I, I can't imagine what they must be feeling that yep. they lived through this yep it is insane yep absolutely yeah absolutely well we will be back next week with our usual episodes um if you would like to give us a tip, thank you to those of us, those of you that use the super chat. Um, yeah. You also can go to truecrimesquad.com. There are a couple of places to do that. We do really appreciate it. We work really hard on this channel. As you know, we produce more content than almost any other po uh, true crime podcast around. And that's because we love it. But if you want to help support us, you surely can at truecrimesquad.com. And as always, we are the True Crime Squad. Thanks for being here. Take care.